There is so much drama in this text, isn't there? This text in Matthew chapter 2, the wise men. Just think about all the drama. I mean, it makes for great story, this, this true story of what happened after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Mysterious magi saw his star in the east and they came, they followed it, and they came to worship him. Who were they? Books have been written. We could talk about it all day. We don't know. What we can deduce is that they were the, the university professors, the, the scientists of their day from somewhere in the east. And so the star leads them all the way to Jerusalem where then they consult the scriptures to find out more about where this king of the Jews would be born. All right, and they go to King Herod. Now, when Herod hears about this, this king of the Jews that was going to be born, Herod was disturbed. You have to understand a little bit about, you know, read up on your history about King Herod the Great. You see, he was an extremely paranoid man, always worried about whether his kingdom was going to be taken from him. Um, if you can imagine, he had already at this point killed his first wife and three of his sons because he was paranoid that they were going to take his kingdom away from him, just to get you in the mindset of King Herod a little bit. All right? So when King Herod saw this, and when he was disturbed, all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. It's no wonder, huh? King Herod had even made a, um, he had declared a, made a directive that on the day he died, that all the leading people in Jerusalem were supposed to be killed, because he wanted to make sure that there would be some mourning and some sadness on that day. So when King Herod was nervous, so was everybody else. All right, that helps you maybe understand that bit. Then Herod had, he, he consulted the Bible teachers, the chief priests and scribes, and he had them search the Bible for some more information on where this king of the Jews would be born. They went to Micah chapter 5. They found out that Bethlehem would be the place where that king would be born. So Herod sends them to Bethlehem, search out that child, and of course he intends nothing other than to kill any possible or potential king of the Jews or newborn Messiah that might be born. So the star then leads them to Bethlehem. The wise men, the magi, joyfully go. They find Jesus. They bow down and worship him with their gifts and their obedience. And they, they give these very costly, expensive gifts to him. No doubt giving Joseph and Mary plenty to think about what is going on here. And then because they were warned in a dream, they don't go back to Herod but they returned to their country uh, by a different route. Exciting, dramatic stuff. We could, there, there, there are many things in this text we could talk about. I just want to focus on two main things today for our message. Number one is the star. We started talking about this a little bit on Christmas Eve. I want to just, let's look at the star a little bit. We don't know much about the star. The Bible, you, you, you see it, you see right in that text from verse 2 to verse 12, that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details about this, this star. But this, this star, what we do know is that the, these magi, whoever they were, saw this star in the east. And somehow they knew that that star meant that the king of the Jews had been born or was going to be born. And it was so important to them, so significant to them, that they embarked on this huge, massive journey because of it. 
they go on this massive journey. So obviously it was a big deal. It meant a lot to them. So the star leads them to Jerusalem where then they get further instruction from the scriptures, from the prophet Micah, as to the birthplace of this newborn king, this Messiah. And then the star leads them to Bethlehem, right to the place, right to the house where Jesus and his parents were. All right? And there they worship him with their gifts and their offerings and, the, and their obedience and their faith. Okay? But here's the thing. No one, no one else seemed to know about the star. We, we don't hear about anyone else who was noticing this star in the sky. Like, you've seen the pictures, you've seen the movie, and the star is like this gigantic Hollywood spotlight coming right down on Jesus, where, like, I think anyone, you know, in the, in the surrounding, you know, 50 kilometers could have seen that. But no one else really seemed to know about it. King Herod, actually, he asks, he plies them with questions about when, when did the star appear? No one had been noticing it. So the star kind of moves and then stops and then moves and then stops, which isn't very star-like either. So that, that raises some more questions in our mind. And, and the other thing is that the star didn't lead anyone else to Jesus that we know of. Only these wise men. So that's what we know about the star. So what was the star? Well, of course, it's interesting and it's mysterious. So there's all kinds of you know, there's all kinds of theories about the star. When you really look at it, there's probably two main possibilities. Number one, God created a new star and put it in the sky to lead these wise men across the world to see his son who was newly born to, to, to show them the fulfillment of his promise. Now, God had already created millions of stars, so creating one more star is no problem whatsoever for God. But it's not like he just, you know, like puts like a, you know, a sticker in the sky. We, we do need to, under, to, to maybe understand a little bit the immensity of creating a star. So a star, as I did a little research, as Wikipedia tells us, is a massive luminous sphere of plasma held together by gravity. Um, and that's, I'm just going to quote that phrase. Now you can go in, you can study about stars, and the further you read and the more you study and find out about stars... Um, the more you're probably going to be astonished by the amount of energy in, in a one star or, or the size of some of these stars that to us just look like these little blinking lights up in the sky if we can actually see through the smog of our city. Um, but the more you read about them and learn about them, the more maybe uh, respect or awe you have of not only the size of these stars, but the size of the God who created them. Okay, and now if this was a, so if God created a new star, put it in the sky, I, can we assume that it would have to be at least a little bit larger than the rest of them, or one of the larger ones, or maybe the largest one, because it had to be something that would make you say, yeah, I want to travel around the world to see what that star is showing. So the largest star we know of, called, they've named it Betelgeuse, is 900 million kilometers in diameter. And that means nothing to any of you, but maybe this is a little bit more, it's, 650 times the size of our sun. That's large, okay? So, if God created a new star and put it in the sky, I mean, just maybe this helps us get a little bit more of an understanding and appreciation for then what it was that he did put in the sky. Which is no problem for God, because God can do anything. 
but does it not tell you and I that this was a big deal? The other main possibility for that star in the sky is that it was the conglomeration of maybe a couple planets and a star converging together, making it look like a brighter star in the sky. Now, researchers have discovered that this very once-in-a-lifetime event actually occurred in 6 BC, which, which is a possible date for Jesus' birth, when Jupiter, Venus, and a star all did converge in our night sky, making it look like a brighter star up there. And they even, as they dig further into it, they've discovered that it, there's even a possible way that could have accounted for the stopping, the starting, the stopping, the starting again. And it's, again, that's all I'm going to go into. It's very, very interesting, very amazing, very possible, and certainly very possible for God. Maybe that's how he put the star. So either way, whether, however God did this, so either... The, Either God created a new star, put it in the sky. Just imagine, imagine the immensity of, of doing that. Or, from the beginning of time, from day four of creation, when God set the planets and the whole universe in motion, the sun, moon, and the stars in motion, he was gearing all of that toward this one special moment in time in which he was going to send his son into this world. So whether God created a new star to put in the sky or whether he had everything converged together, we'll never know, maybe until we're in heaven one day, but I just want you to stop and think about it for a moment. That however God did that, leading men across the world, using some star to lead men across the world to come and worship his newborn son. What I think this does for you and I is this leads us to stop and think for a moment about how huge and awesome and amazing our God is. And about how huge and important his plan was to bring his son, the word who has existed from the beginning, Jesus, into our world. And the universe is huge. Stars are huge. Planets, the, the whole organization from the very beginning, what happened here in Bethlehem was the central moment and point in time of all history. And God showed that with the universe, the stars declare the glory of God. So that's the first thing I just really want to focus on and, and help us think about as we consider this text. The, the, the second thing, or the main thing I want to focus on today, is the journey. Magi, or, or wise men, um, seeking the newborn Messiah. I, I want to take a look at the, the intense spiritual devotion of God's spiritual people who felt the need for him, who seek him out, and, and who made this journey, um, who also worshiped him with their gifts and obedience. Because even brighter than that star in the sky, they give us a, a shining example of the sincere devotion of people following God as they overcome obstacles of distance and time and all sorts of other obstacles to worship their Savior and King. And that's what makes them wise. 
That is what made those wise men wise. And the same thing is true today. Today, wise men still seek him. And I've seen that phrase on all sorts of church signboards and bumper stickers. All right? But it's true. And so today I wanted to use that for the theme of my sermon. All right, so consider the journey of these magi. Now they traveled at least, we would say, 500 miles from Babylon. So at least it's a 500-mile journey. That's a long journey. What is that, about 750, a little bit more kilometers? But the older opinions have their journey at three times that length. 1,500 miles all the way from present-day Yemen, which is the ancient Sheba mentioned in Isaiah 60, the verse we heard before, where it says, and, and Isaiah wrote 700 years earlier, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. God had prophesied that what happened here with these wise men, he had prophesied that was going to happen hundreds of years earlier in Sheba. Sheba, present-day Yemen. So this journey could have been much longer than the 500-mile journey from Babylon. All right? And also in, in Psalm 72, it mentions um, kings from Sheba coming to worship the king. But either way, either way, just imagine that trip, whether it was 500 miles or 1,500 miles. Just imagine, I mean, that's a long trip today. Right? That's a long trip today. Back then, it was epic. Imagine, the, imagine back then the obstacles. I, imagine the, the cost. Imagine the, the, the effort and the focus. Imagine um, the hardships along the way. Imagine the preparation, the planning. I, imagine staying on course. They didn't have GPS or iPhones. Um, they did have that star. But, but imagine... Imagine, um, however many that there were that came, imagine talking each other into going. Imagine telling your loved ones, um, we're going to follow that star and travel around the world. Imagine making the decision to go. Like, imagine, imagine just all those things. This was a huge journey in those days. They probably didn't know they were coming home alive. Um, so, why do they make this journey halfway around the world that most people would have thought was ridiculous, that, that wouldn't have made sense to anyone else? Why? Because the Messiah, the King of the Jews, had been born, or was going to be born, and they believed that he was the Savior and the King. And they strongly felt their need for him. They felt the need for Jesus. They needed to be there, to see him in person, and to worship him with their gifts and their obedience and their faith. Imagine the, the hardships that must have come on the journey, the, the potential setbacks along the way. But they had this one focus, and that one focus kept them going. And their one focus was that word we saw earlier on the sandy beach up there. Their one focus was Jesus. That was their one focus. The star led them to him. And, and the star wasn't enough. They, they needed also the scriptures. They needed God's word. But they were focused on seeking and finding Jesus. Do we seek him?
do we seek him with our lives? That's really the question today. And, and this is why I wanted to get you into the mind frame of their journey. Cons- just, just keep considering all that would have gone into their trip. Okay, they're on this massive trip and simply focused on seeking Jesus, this newborn king. We've got to go and worship him. So imagine all the preparations and details that would have gone into that trip. So maybe just, just to help you out, because you're not a wise man who's riding around on a camel. We'll just use you know, the stereotype there. Let, just to help you out, let's, uh, what goes into making a long journey today? All right, we just went to Wisconsin and, and, and back to visit my mom, all right? That is 11 hours in a car one way. All right, kind of a long journey. What went into that journey? Well, we had to choose a leaving time. We had to prepare our route there. We had to pack all the things we need along the way and all the things we'd need while we were there. We'd have to make sure we have our passports and our documentation with us. We had to make sure that the vehicle was maintained, gas in the tank, you know, working, those kind of things. Um, we had to make sure that, that each traveler going was ready to go, all set. And then you take all the stuff that you packed and you load the vehicle. Now you're ready to go. Then you get up in the morning and, and you start driving. Now, for the next 11 hours, you're driving and you're focused on the destination. And, and it takes this continual concentration and focus. You're focused on where you're going. So um, you're constantly, well, first of all, you're constantly driving, so you're, 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 you're worried about the drivers around you, so you have to be concentrating, not falling asleep, um, you know, as these drivers are whipping around you, especially in Michigan. And you, you, but you have to keep that, and if there's weather, you know, there's that kind of focus. So you have, you're, you're, like you're in this state of concentration for as long as you're going to be on that journey on getting to where you're going. So then you have to take, you know, you turn on the highways that you've got to turn as you're following your route there, and, and you have to make decisions when to stop for, for gas and food and, and washroom breaks. Um, you have to pay tolls. You, then you have to make decisions about this and that. Then you check weather reports and make more decisions, maybe alternate routes. And all the way, you're kind of, you're focusing on a goal and there's a lot of concentration, focus, effort, and so on and so forth. Just for an 11-hour journey. Okay, so a, a long term, even today, takes, takes cost, effort, uh, concentration, and focus. Focus on the destination. So, Thinking about that, do we live our lives with that kind of focus on Jesus? Do we live our lives with that kind of focus on Jesus? Do we seek Him? Keeping in mind the kind of focus you need on a journey, what would your life look like if, if, if you lived your life with that kind of seeking Focus on Jesus. Instead of getting up every day, thinking about your problems, worrying about how you're going to solve them, worrying about whether or not you're going to get that promotion, um, wondering what people are going to think of you because of the way you live or because of the way you look, worrying about how you're going to make things turn out for your good or benefit your situation, and all these kind of things that we do think about and worry about in the moment we get up. Instead of all that, if you are living your lives focused and seeking on Jesus, would it look like this? Would, would we, be, we, we would then be waking up 
and knowing that that day was another gift of grace from God. That each day, living with a life that's focused on Jesus and seeking Him, we know that every day is a gift from God. We know another opportunity to, to serve Him, another opportunity to worship Him. We would begin each day seeking Him in His Word. We would begin each day thinking about Him. And all the choices and decisions we would make during the course of that day would be made with Him in mind. Thinking about Him. A, a whole new different kind of focus, a whole new different kind of reason for the choices that we'd make. All right, Because we're seeking Him. Because we're on a journey to see Him. Because we're focused on Him. And when we live our lives with that focus, it would change the way that we treat our spouse. It would change the way that we treat our friend. Or it would change the way that we treat the other people around us. Because we would treat them the way he did if we were seeking him, focusing on him. We would love them the way he did. We would, we would care about them the, the way he did. And we would make decisions that are in line with the fact that we are on a journey to see him. That are in line with the fact that we are seeking Him and that we want them to be seeking Him too. So if we live our lives like those wise men did on this journey, focused on Christ, seeking Him, it really would give us a whole new perspective for how and why we do the what and why that we do. It, it gives us really a whole new perspective and a whole new way to live life. If we remember that every day we are seeking Christ, He is our Savior, we're following Him, we're focused on Him, He is our destination. I don't think we live our lives seeking him, though. I don't think we live our lives seeking him. I think we are focused on just about everything else. Job or lack of job, money or lack of money, marriage or lack of marriage, um, hobbies, diversions, our own selfish pursuits, um, making sure that everything works out for our benefit, um, making sure that we get more entertained, making sure that we have something to look forward to that's just for us. Yeah, we, you know, we, we stop now and then, we go to church, and we read the Bible, and we pray, but we, we pretty quickly get right back to seeking the one thing that is most important to us, and that is ourselves. What if we would start this new year like the wise men, seeking Jesus? What if we could kind of put our life in, in the kind of framework of that, that we're on a journey to see him, which we are. That, that we could put our life in that kind of framework, that we're on this journey, that we're focused on Jesus, that seeking him that with the same concentration that you, you know, do an 11-hour trip, that we live our life that way, you know, never veering, always wary of, of what's around you, what's going on, um, focused on him. What if we could live our lives with that kind of focus? Um, you know, just imagine how many obstacles those wise men ran into, but, but they kept going, they kept following that star, they kept seeking him because they were totally focused on him. How many, how many obstacles of travel or time do we overcome to worship our king? How, how often don't tiny distances or tiny obstacles keep us from him? But if we are living with this kind of focus that we're on this journey to see him, seeking him, 
wouldn't we, wouldn't, we, wouldn't we approach those obstacles in a much different light? I mean, would we worry about things the way we worry about now? Would, would, would tiny little obstacles or tiny distances, or even large ones, keep us from him? I don't think so. Look at verse 8. Herod and the wise men, King Herod and the wise men, they both hear the same scripture verse. But Herod only pretends that he's interested. He says, go find him and tell me where he is so I can worship him. He's only pretending. Well, the wise men actually are interested. They actually go and worship him. So one is, is only pretending and one actually goes. How often don't we, after, after being reminded of a truth about Jesus, only pretend that we're interested? Oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to get around to being more spiritual in my life. Um, you know, studying the Bible more getting more involved at church. But friends, now is the time for action. Seeking Jesus means finding him, believing in him, worshiping him, and obeying him because you need him. Not just saying you're going to do it, but doing it. Are you seeking him? Wise men still seek him generously, in seeking Jesus, the wise men gave Jesus their best, the, the most costliest gifts. Money was no object. He was worth more to them than anything they had. In fact, everything they had was from him in the first place. And, and so they gave him their best. But, but even more important than those costly gifts they gave him was the faith with which they were presented. And that faith was shown by the way they worshipped him. They bowed down, showing him that he was more important than they were. Are we seeking to give God our best? Wise men still seek him joyously. Joyously. Verse 10 says, look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now the Greek says, they rejoiced with an exceedingly great joy. Okay, so they were more than overjoyed. Their indescribable joy kept on mounting and mounting and building and building until that star finally showed them the blessed end to their long and arduous journey. Friends, a life of seeking Jesus is the most joyful life that you could possibly live. What you find when you seek him will fill you with more joy than anything in this world could possibly fill you with. There may be some rough spots along the road, but in the end, you will be rejoicing with an exceedingly great joy. Wise men still worship him. Why? Wise men still seek him. Why? Because he came to seek us. He came here to seek us. Jesus later on said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So when we seek him, we are merely imitating the joy and the love that he was showing you and I by all that he went through to go on this tremendous journey from the throne of heaven to his lowly birth in a manger because he came here seeking you and me so that he could save us. 
I know you haven't been seeking him in your life the way you should. Neither have I. But I want you to be reminded here that he came here seeking you and me so that he could save us. He came here seeking us so that he could forgive us. And he has forgiven you. So, with that in mind, let's seek him. Let's live lives that seek him, that are totally focused on him. Let's seek him in everything we do in our lives. That's what the wise men once did. But today, that's what wise men and women still do. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.